Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Where 77% of the people self-identify as Christians, but then you start asking them questions about the deity of Christ and one way to heaven and things like that. When you really start pressing people about the Bible and its inspiration and its sufficiency and its authority, you start to find people kind of practically backing away from their wholehearted, full-throated support of the Bible. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We're so thankful that you have joined us for today's program. On today's broadcast, Pastor Crosby will be sharing a message from the book of 2 Timothy entitled, Prepared. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Well, today we're going to study a passage, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. You can turn there if you like. And what this passage is about is about the Bible, the Scriptures, and their importance and their, and their essential presence and uh, impact in our lives. But the Bible... It's problematic in today's culture and time because the Bible says things that sometimes embarrass us, that sometimes challenge us because it speaks so clearly about the way things are and the way things ought to be. If For those of you who are students of church history, and I know, I know that's not the most exciting topic in the world, but some of us love to read that stuff, you know. Uh, Origen, he was called an early church father. And some parts of the Bible so disturbed him, particularly things like the Canaanite genocide and some of the wars and things like that, that he developed a school of interpretation where you just find a part of the Bible you don't like and you just allegorize it. You make it just totally symbolic and you find a way to reinterpret it in a a way that doesn't shock or offend too many people and that's smooth and easy. And that approach is still with us today in some circles. There are other approaches. I was reading in uh, Christianity Today and also uh, reading an excerpt from a a magazine called uh, Youth Specialties, which used to be a a pretty impactful magazine in youth ministry. And one of their writers, a young man, uh, noted at the time a noted youth pastor or youth expert, uh, said this about the Bible and reconciling the world and his life with the Bible and how he thought with the Bible. He takes a somewhat unique approach. He says this, Some might say I would be wise to swallow my misgivings about such stuff, remain orthodox, and thereby secure my place with God in eternity. But that is perfectly my point. If those things are true, then God might as well send me to hell. I required no Bible to determine it, and honestly, I will either interpret away or ignore altogether any Bible verse that suggests otherwise. I am well aware that I don't get to decide who God is. What I do get to decide, however, is to whom I pledge my allegiance. I am a free agent after all, and I have my standards for my God. And the first of which is this, I will not worship any God who is not at least as compassionate as I am. You know, it's breathtaking to see that level of unbelief, you know, and that blindness to uh, 
God's Word and to God. But the Bible makes people uncomfortable. There are those difficult, difficult passages like Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and Genesis chapter 3. And what Jesus says about those chapters in Matthew 19, 1 through 6. And there's that passage in 1 Timothy 2, 12 and, and, and 13. And there's that passage in Romans 1, 18 through 32. And there's these passages, Romans chapter 9. There are these passages where God says things that sometimes cramp our style. Now, in evangelicism today, everybody says pretty much that they believe what the Bible says. They believe the Bible is true. They believe it's accurate. They believe it's inerrant, infallible, inspired. But if you remember that study that I read to you, where 77% of the people self-identify as Christians, but then you start asking them questions about the deity of Christ and one way to heaven and things like that, when you really start pressing people about the Bible and its inspiration and its sufficiency and its authority, you start to find people kind of practically backing away from their wholehearted, full-throated support of the Bible. The challenge for us as a church is this. We say we follow Christ. We say we believe the Bible. And in the days and the weeks to come, as we seek to chart a course together as a people, as individuals, we have to decide, do we really, really believe everything the Bible says? And are we really, really willing to go wherever the Bible will take us? Because there's a lot of ministry to be done yet. We have a community to reach. We have a world to reach. And we have to be sure of what we believe. We have to be committed to it. Or otherwise, we'll spin our wheels and we'll get stuck like a truck on a stump in the woods. And we'll go nowhere fast. And so today, I want to ask you if you're prepared to do that. Today, our message is entitled, Prepared. Our text is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Let me just sort of give you some background quickly on the passage. 1 Timothy is part of what is called the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And what the pastoral epistles do is give us a blueprint for church matters. What the church is, how it's to operate, how it's to be organized. And it is important because church matters matter to God and they should matter to us. And in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the Lord, and he's left Timothy behind in Ephesus to sort of do some cleanup operations and fine-tune the church. Paul's done the heavy lifting, and he's moved on, and he's in prison, actually, and, but he's anticipating his release. By the time you roll around to 2 Timothy, Paul is back in prison. He's facing trial with Nero again, and this time he's, he's not getting out. This time he, you know, he, he keeps a stiff upper lift, but sooner as you get to the end of the chapter of the, of the book, you realize that Paul knows he's going to be executed. And he's been abandoned by all of his friends except for Luke, who's there with him, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, the good physician. And he's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, who's kind of gone wobbly. And he's walking Timothy through what he's got to do to continue this mission, this kingdom work that God has given them and the church. And in, first, in 2 Timothy 3, 
he tells him these happy words. But understand this, that in the last days, there will, become, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. That doesn't sound fun, does it? Sounds familiar, though, doesn't it, when you think about the era in which we live today, unfortunately. Then he goes on to talk to him about what he's already learned and what he's already known. And then in chapter 4, he starts winding down the epistle, and he says this to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Then he goes on to say, I have kept the faith, and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. And I don't know about you, but I've, if I was a 30-something pastor in what is now Turkey, far away from my mentor, wondering who's going to guide and who's going to lead me through this tumultuous and difficult season that's coming, where do I look and to whom do I look for, to be prepared? Well, sandwiched in between these somewhat intimidating uh, forecasts are these words. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, some translations say scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for instruction, uh, excuse me, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. And what we have here is, Timothy, is Timothy's consolation. Paul's going to be gone. But you know what he'll have? When people are lovers of self, when people don't want to hear the word preached, he'll have the scriptures. And those scriptures he's always had. It was those scriptures that led Timothy to Christ, and it will be those scriptures that lead Timothy on in the days and the weeks and the months to come in his remaining years on this planet and in that ministry. And it's those scriptures that we will appeal to in our lives and in this ministry in the days and the weeks and the months to come. But the question that you and I, that each and every one of us, that this church has to ask and answer in its own heart, three questions will determine, our answers will determine where we go and what, what God 
allows us to accomplish as he blesses our faithfulness. And the first question that I want you to ask and answer in your own heart is this. Are you prepared to believe what the scriptures say? Do you believe, do you trust the scriptures? Prepared to believe? Prepared to believe that all scripture is breathed out by God? That's the first half of the 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, it says, is breathed out by God. Even the ones I don't like, even the ones you don't like. All the embarrassing ones? Well, I don't, I'm not too sure there's any embarrassing scriptures there, but yes. Well, what does it mean to be breathed out, to be inspired, to be God-breathed? It means that these scriptures come from inside God. It means that they're like God. They are eternal. They don't have an expiration date. They, there may come fulfillments of scripture. We don't have the sacrificial system anymore because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law but it does not go out of date now some people like to say well yeah the scriptures contain the truth but you know men wrote them but you know what the bible says about that if you look at second peter 1 20 to 21 you have an answer to that question about inspiration are these the thoughts of men or are these the thoughts of God? And 2 Peter 1, 20-21 answers that question. It says this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It's not somebody's pet project. For, because no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The significance here is this, is what's in these pages here. Prophecy of Scripture, teaching of Scripture, the written down Word of God was recorded by men who were carried along, who were moved by the Holy Spirit. This isn't the will of man expressed in writing. This is the will of God. And therefore, it's like God because it comes from God. That's what breathed out means. Inspiration means breathed out. And when we say that God breathed out the scriptures, we understand that every word is God's. He may have used men to write it down. You use tools at work, don't you? Did the, tool, did the, did the shovel dig that ditch? Did the keyboard write that code? Now, I'm not talking about dictation because in the scriptures you can see the personality of the people expressed in their writing styles. But as it says elsewhere, every word of God, every word of scripture is tested. Now, you may be saying, yeah, but you know, that Old Testament God, he seems a lot more grumpy than the New Testament God. I like the New Testament God. But you know what? It's the same God. He's the same God. Jesus Jesus, God of creation, the God who sent the flood, the God who came here to seek and save that which was lost. In fact, you probably are, some of you may be thinking about that famous passage that tells us that the Old Testament and the New Testament are both Scripture. If you look at 1 Timothy 5.18, 
Here you have confirmation that all Scripture is inspired. What do we see? 1 Timothy 5, 18. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and a laborer deserves his wages. There it is. We can go home now. No, not really. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute. It doesn't say the whole thing's inspired. It doesn't say Old Testament, New Testament. It does. Look closely. The first quotation marks lay out Deuteronomy chapter 25, 4. You shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And the second set of quotation marks mark out Luke 10, 7 where Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, the worker is due his wages. And notice what Paul is doing here for us. For the Scripture says, he doesn't say the Scriptures say, he says the book says, the writing says, the unit says, don't muzzle an ox while he's feeding, and the worker is due his wages. The book says, Old Testament and New He is equating the writings of Luke with the writings of Moses. Old Testament and New. One unit. Now, some people say, well, you know, Paul, you know, Paul was, you know, we, you know I, I, I'm a red-letter Christian. You know, you meet people like, there's a whole movement now, and some people say that, and they don't, they're not part of this other movement, but there's a whole movement called red-letter Christianity where basically all people care about are the Gospels and everything else is irrelevant. So people will do that and say, well, you know, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a bit of a chauvinist, you know. You know, his, his Judaism kind of bent his thinking and his chauvinism and his legalism sort of infected the Scriptures. And you've you got to watch with Paul because not everything he says can we take so seriously. The problem is, is the apostles saw the writings of Paul as Scripture. And when we say all Scripture is inspired by God, it means all Scripture. And you have that other famous passage about inspiration in Second uh, Peter three fifteen and 16, where Paul's writings are referred to as Bible. Second Peter three fifteen and 16. And count the patient... Patience of our Lord is salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Some translations might render that hard to take. Which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do what? The other scriptures. Now, the New American Standard renders it the rest of scriptures. What is Peter saying in his own laid-back, inimitable way? The ignorant and the untaught. You know, I mean, you know, Peter, he's kind of blunt. He's saying, well, you know, Paul has written this, and people don't like it, and people, some people get a little crazy about it like they do the rest of the Bible. What does that mean? That Paul's writing is Bible that Paul's writing is scriptures, that it's inspired. And, and so we need to understand this. We need to accept this. We need to embrace this. We don't get to be like Bart Campolo and pick out which parts of the Bible we like and 
reinterpret some and ignore others altogether. We don't get to be like origin and allegorize things so that when we feel a little uncomfortable, we can feel a little bit better. And we don't get to treat it like the erasable Bible where you take your number two, you know, writings and you erase them with your, with your eraser. The Bible is what the Bible is, and the Bible says what the Bible says, and you've got to decide, do you really believe that? Are you, are you willing to believe, are you prepared to believe in the inspiration of Scripture? And before you answer too quickly, remember this, when you say yes to that question, when you answer yes, that means you accept the sufficiency of of scripture. It is sufficient for everything we're going to face in this life and in the act of worship, for all matters of faith and worship and living life. And are you willing to accept the authority of scripture? Scripture has something to say about every inch of thread about the fabric of your being, and we are to conform ourselves to the thinking of God, not conform God to our thinking. And this is a big thing. This is a big question today because a lot of times we say and we affirm the scriptures except here. Oh, yes, I believe the Bible is inerrant and fallible because it's inspired by God, except over here, this, this expired. This is culturally driven. Well, you know, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away before one letter of the law fails. And I don't know about you right now, but I don't feel like I'm standing on Mars. I'm on earth. It's still here. And heaven is still there. So I want you to think about that. Are you prepared to believe to trust Scripture? Are you prepared to believe in the inspiration, sufficiency, and authority of Scripture for all matters of faith and practice? All right, as a church, the scriptures, the inspired scriptures, inform our thinking. And they empower us to do the work that God has called us to. So are you prepared to believe? And the second question you and I need to ask and answer is, are you prepared to surrender? Are you prepared to surrender your preferences, your desires, and align them with God's desires? Are you prepared to take those inspired scriptures and weigh your preferences and your desires in the scales of the inspired Word of God. Which brings us to 2 Timothy 3.16b, second half of the verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God and, big and here, because it's breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching some translations say doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 